When you bring your child home for the first time, you want a baby monitor you can trust. When you choose Stork, you choose technology trusted to monitor 10 million babies in hospitals every year. Stork continuously tracks your baby's pulse rate, oxygen saturation, and temperature. Visit MassimoStork.com to learn more. Stork, a revolutionary baby monitor, is born. Stork is not a medical device. Read and understand all product labeling. Massimo data on file. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Hey, y'all. The OGs and new listeners alike, I am Randy, one half of the Black Millennial Marriage Podcast, and this is my indie. I'm actually really excited to share this indie episode with y'all. Um, it's been really difficult as a Black woman and as creator right now um, in these times. I actually interviewed this guest a few days ago, and... I'm publishing it today to you all, but I wanted to first say that I love you, especially black women, especially black people, because we found out that Brianna Taylor's murderers will not be held accountable. And while many people, activists, black people, white people, a whole bunch of people have said that they are not surprised, and neither am I, I am still just incredibly disheartened and and like ironically maybe this this episode is right on time for some people I know that I was going back and forth about whether I would post today and and I went to the dentist today and it was a place I've never been before completely ran by black women and it was just great uh they played gospel music the whole time (laughs) like black women do the dentist there is older and elder and she just made me think so much about my Nana, who hasn't been with, with us on this plane for years now, since I was in high school, but, and her name was Ida May, and this dentist's name was May, and it just was very, like, right on time, and I thought that it was really interesting that they were playing gospel music, because I always tell Mike, whenever I randomly hear gospel music, or whenever I randomly start singing it out of the blue, I always think of my grandma Pat. I'm like, oh, my grandma Pat is here. You know, <laughs> my grandma Pat is around. And she passed in 2012 on Thanksgiving um, from breast cancer. And I just always feel like that's her signal to me that she's around. And I really needed that comfort. And especially because they were doing my x-rays. And I was like, oh, <laughs> it's so much. I remember why I hated going to the dentist. But still it was the community and like just space I needed to be in as I you know deal with my feelings and as a lot of us deal with our feelings and as we approach elections and the end of this year and all that so I think this episode is right on time and I won't hold y'all I cannot wait for you to hear it please let me know what you think and I hope you enjoy in 2010 thought I was doing something 
And now I'm rapping with a crew or something. I guess the track don't really stick unless he's blowing something. And I never fit the shoe until I do or something. Yo, bracing myself like teeth, boy, it's the same old route on some new concrete. But homie, these tunes make you get a new ID. I'm trying to do my thing, but the commute ain't cheap. I'm on a two-day week for all this rap these days. And we can still pitch the track to all the wack DJs. We're singing happy days, wearing tacky J's. And I'm just pumped that I made it out my nappy face. And I'm back. So, what happened was, if you heard my indie episode 112, checking in, you know I've been doing a lot of self-reflection. I started therapy again. I'm working on believing I'm inherently worthy and valuable. And I'm having lots of conversations with God. After one conversation with God, I discovered many things, one of them being the Reclaiming My Theology podcast, and it really fed my soul. And all I wanted to do was talk with the host, one-on-one. I didn't know she'd want to chat with me, but she did. And I'm thankful. So, Brandy, please, can you introduce yourself? Hey, oh, good to be here. Uh, my name is Brandy. And like you said, I'm the host of the Reclaiming My Theology podcast. But for the last 10 years, mostly I have been a campus minister working with college students, figuring out what it means to intersect a more holistic faith in Jesus with justice and to not let those yeah, fall out of alignment with each other. And so most of my work has been centered around that. But I'm also a regular person. I lift weights competitively and enjoy my friends and family and and all the stuff that normal people do beyond the work that I get to do in the world. Well, thank you. I didn't know that. I didn't know that you um, lifted weights. Yeah, I definitely do. Do you, so um, have you, what have you been doing now that the pandemic is like happening? Have you been able to like, just, I guess, not practice more, but train more? Is it provided more of a space to? (laughs) No, it's definitely been less. It's, uh, I was, I was out there five to six days a week before trying to, get competition ready but i've been doing like three to four days a week tops trying to make it (laughs) that's look that's still something considering yeah my pandemic motivation has i'm like at 50 percent capacity all the time and working out doesn't always make it into the other 50 (laughs) percent. i hear you (laughs) i hear you well thank you so um so now we'll have our questions that need answers so we actually used to call this recollections we took this from or adopted it from one of our favorite parenting podcasts raising rebels she'll have a guest come on and like recall something from their childhood as a way to honor their childhoods and so i wanted to ask you a question so you talk about a lot of things on your show and it got me thinking about how many of us are first introduced to god and for a lot of us it's from an elder a grandmother, an aunt, someone older, maybe younger. Um, And I wanted to know what was the first story you heard about God from a family member or someone you respect or maybe don't respect (laughs) that that stuck with you, you know, and how did their experience with God shape your idea about God? Yeah. I, I think the two things come to mind. One is really short and the other is probably a little longer, but the first memories I have are with, there's this, um, children's study or children's bible like a little square kind of iconically illustrated children's bible that my grandma gave me when i was growing up and my family isn't like super christian but it was a i love to read and so i remember that being given to me and kind of reading it cover to cover and being fascinated by the stories that were in it and so it was less someone explicitly introducing me to god and more giving me a thing to help me to do that myself which actually has felt pretty consistent with my journey of how i've gone into reading and engaging with theology and engaging with Jesus over the years, I think has felt like people who I love giving me resources to be able to follow Jesus. Okay. Yeah. But the- What's your longer one? Yeah. So when I first became a Christian, I was probably 13, 12 or 13. Okay. And so a little later in life than a lot of folks. And 
there was a missionary couple named Renee and Carla, and they and their kids had were on a year sabbatical, I believe, from their missionary work in the Philippines. And say what you will about missions work, but one thing that felt compelling to me about the way they lived their lives is that they were so hospitable and they loved Jesus at the same time. And so they made a way for people to follow Jesus that wasn't just, I don't know, about just believing something in your head, but it was clear they embodied it in who they were. And so I don't think I knew until much later that that taught me a more embodied way of following Jesus. And I think we probably disagree on like all things theologically at this point, but I think that they're introducing me to Jesus and being super hospitable and like family to me at the same time taught me something about God that I don't think I would have learned through just like a Bible study. Thank you for that. Um, For me, so for me, one person um, that's like my grandmother, she's, she passed away in 2012 from breast cancer, but she was so devout and so like, so godly. <laughs> and every time you like asked her how she was, she was blessed and highly favored. Of course. Her voicemail was, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice. Like she, <laughs> like she just like, when she, when you talk to her, she want to know how is your relationship with God? You know, like she was just not afraid or ashamed. And one, she used to tell us these stories. And one day she told me this story um, that she was driving in a car and she was at a stop sign. And, you know, you're only supposed to wait like a second at a stop sign. There was no one else outside. And so she was going to drive off, you know, and she said, God told her to wait. And she was like, I don't know why I need to wait. Why do I need to wait? And there's no one here. And God was like, no, I said, wait. And so she sat there. She said she sat there for a long time. And then this car drove by and it had this man in it. And he just looked bad. Like she just she said that he just looked evil, you know, and and she knew that that's why like God had wanted her to stay where she was so that he could pass. And I've never forgotten that story. I don't know how old I was. I had to be like, I don't know, seven, eight. And she, um, it really made me feel like, oh, so like God is like, you know, God favors you, you know, in terms of like, he will protect you and he will, or God will, um, like let you know when something's like amiss. And, and you need to listen. And if you don't, then like <laughs> you don't know what may have happened. If like, what if this car had pulled up behind you if, if you hadn't let this man go past? And so it really got me thinking more of a like a like a supernatural element to God. Even though you know God is supernatural, but it like, made me just feel like God is in you, and God will 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 turn like set something off in your body yes. to like to to protect you, or to, you know, or to at least give you some type of signal. And also that this concept of like wrestling with God and you've talked about this on your podcast she questioned she was like why do I need to stay here (laughs) you know I want to go and God was like no you need to sit and you know this is what she's telling me and so just this concept of actually asking questions and being and being answered and not being um not being I don't know struck down because you questioned why you had to for real (laughs) why you couldn't move and so yeah so it was just really powerful to me and I never I never forget that story and she has lots of stories let me tell you and so or she had lots of stories and they and they really shaped me so that's mine Mm, love that so we're gonna get into like the interview questions and so I've been talking about your show and I still catching up and that last episode I listened to, which is the one you warned everyone about, is like, hey, this one may hit a little different than like the other ones. That was the last episode I heard. I was like, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> Let me, I need a break, but I'm going to finish. And so, but I think it's actually good that I haven't heard it because I now you can actually, we can actually talk about it. Maybe I'll get some spoilers, but your show, 
as I've said, has really been rocking me. And the first question I wanted to ask you was, what radicalized your faith? Um, you mentioned how you don't think you'd be in alignment with the with the family that you stayed with during missionary work. But I, and I, so I want to know, like, what radicalized it? What changed it for you? And I saw someone on Twitter post this question like I think she meant like very broadly and so it made me actually want to ask you this question in a more like specific way and especially when it concerns your show and what made you started and begin this first season reclaiming your theology from white supremacy as opposed to all the other series that are sure to come you know (laughs) what why (laughs) why from white supremacy and what does that mean yeah so I think it's a funny question because I actually don't feel that radical in any way. Like, I don't feel like, I don't know, I just don't feel I okay, I, either I feel like the way of Jesus by itself is radical. And so if we're to do it, it will look radical. Okay. But like, I feel like so much of what I'm trying to do is just to lean into basic human decency embodied in the person of Jesus in a way that transforms whatever it can transform. And so I think because I've been doing the journey of it for so long, it just feels very normal to me. And so I mostly feel like the radical thing is the people in my life and the gift that I get to have to have the conversations. But, you know, I came into college in my undergraduate as a Tea Party conservative. Really? Straight up. Like my- Oh my God. And like, I can say now in hindsight that I learned white supremacy and my faith at the same time. I grew up in a white family. I was born out of an affair. And so my family's there's a lot of military folks. And so I kind of grew up in this incubator of conservative indoctrination. And so when I went to college, it was 2008 for the first election. I didn't vote for Barack Obama. I voted for John McCain and Sarah Palin. And yeah, girl, girl. (laughs) there's some things you can't take back and voting records are public, you know? Nah, nah, you good. I, I get it. I get it. Like people who don't know me are like, what? The-? <laughs> oh my god! But what happened was I encountered this group of followers of Jesus who always talked about justice, and they were so frustrating to me because in my kind of like conservative, like all you need is the Bible. God only speaks through the Bible, and not through even the experience that you're saying that your grandma had. Yeah, I was just like, y'all are so liberal. You've lost the gospel, and here I am at this like small private liberal arts college. My small group leader are like either undocumented or folks of color, you know, they're just, or like these intersections. And I was like, I'm not going to become like y'all. But (laughs) what happened was they were way more in love with Jesus and way more in love with scripture and followed Jesus in a way more life-giving way than I did. And so while I thought I knew the Bible, this group of people was like, I mean, you can know the Bible, but like, if it doesn't mean something for your life, then it doesn't mean anything. And so I started going to Bible studies with them and had this like after a while of like figuring out how they talked about how they heard from Jesus and all the stuff that I thought was just like mystic nonsense. I had this encounter with God where I was reading Exodus 2 and Exodus has become such a core text for me in a lot of ways because of this moment. But I was like sitting in my little prayer closet and reading (laughs) Exodus. I was that person like straight up just the most annoying caricature of like a college student Christian trying not to get defiled by the world. That was me. (laughs) And, And I'm reading Exodus 2 like halfway through my freshman year in college. And the text says that God heard the cry of the Israelites. He saw that their oppression was great and that God knew. And then for the rest of the story of scripture, God is working to redeem and save this group of people, both from empire and then from becoming the empires that they're freed from. And the word I heard from God was, if you want to be about the things I'm about, this is this is it. Like, this is it for you. Yeah. And I felt like I had to have this I'll be as, I'm going to sound so Christian today, but like this Saul <laughs> to Paul moment where I just felt like, 
who I was and all of who I was was being invited to change in a radical way. And so I changed my major from professionally playing clarinets <laughs> to <laughs> <laughs> to ethnic studies and studied racism in the church and in prisons. Oh, wow. And then I moved – I went into ministry right away post-college mm-hmm. and started working for a predominantly white evangelical organization and just kind of saw all of the things that I was studying – sort of playing out in my work and in the people that I was engaging with. And two years into that job, Michael Brown Jr. was killed in Ferguson. And so it felt like what could be just a passive interest or something that I did with like my other liberal friends suddenly was a thing that I had to be talking about and had to be learning about and engaging with and making meaning of in public space. And so a lot of what the podcast has come out of is nearly 10 years of work trying to figure out how do we create communities that aren't just so entrenched in white supremacy that no one, regardless of racial identity, can exist and be fully themselves. And so it's in all of that work that I decided to kind of consolidate that information and have conversations with my friends about things that we care about, hoping that as we talk that other people would know that they're just not, that we don't need to be gaslit by white evangelicalism into thinking they're our only option for what it means to follow Jesus. Oh, Brandy. (laughs) I, that was, listen, okay. I'm trying to focus. I cannot believe I did not (laughs) know you were going to say none of that. So my question is, so, so how do you, how did you realize, because I was, I I, I told you off mic that I realized we have the same friend and I messaged her and I was like, oh my God, I never realized I was looking through Christianity through a white supremacist lens. And so, which is why I was about to bounce. I was about to leave, you know, like I can't do like, this is not because I couldn't find a way to be humane. And to be Christian, and it wasn't an issue with God, mm-hmm. but it was it was it was Christians. <laughs> like <laughs> I, I, I can't I, I can't do this. I cannot do this anymore. And so my question is, how did you like? How do you realize what's white supremacy, and you know, <laughs> and like what's not? Because from your podcast, I'm like, oh, it's all white supremacy, and so we have to completely completely un like undo and unlearn every single thing from Genesis on back. Mm-hmm. And so I just want to know like how like how do you even differentiate between like how? How? Tell me. What is the <laughs> I mean that's a million what dollar question, the- <laughs> right? It's like what is white supremacy and what isn't? Like what yeah. what what is indoctrination and what isn't? And the answer is really like I mean you know it when you see it and when you to me it yeah. feels a little bit like when you learn a new word for the first time. Like you hear a new word you get it defined for you. And then suddenly you hear everybody using that word and you're like, was everybody always saying this? Or did I just learn? And am I just now noticing? Or like when you buy a new car and suddenly you're like, how everybody got the same car I do out here in these streets? Like, how uh-huh, is you that? can see, yes. And I think that white supremacy <laughs> is a lot like that, where we, where mm. we learn to see it and then we go, oh, that's what that was. That was that weird feeling I had a long time ago. That was that toxic conversation I had with so-and-so. Oh, that's why I read the Bible and feel this weird way about it. And so it doesn't really answer necessarily what's white supremacy and what's not. But I think that most things are in our white evangelical, we're coming from white evangelical space. And right, we're in the United States, which is a predominantly white space, stolen from indigenous peoples and colonized so deeply that indoctrinated narratives about what it means to follow Jesus are the only way to engage. And so I think for me, figuring out what white supremacy is has required looking at communities of color, both in the United States, but a lot outside of the US and going, how do you see faith differently? And how do I train myself to legitimize that when white supremacy tells me that that thing is evil? Like when I see my friends 
from indigenous communities doing their practices and like their, their ancient practices and, and loving creator by doing so. And I'm like, Ooh, that's syncretism. Like you used your native drums. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> what the f- like really? Like that's, that's yeah. where we're at. And so I think for me, I've just had to practice really actively expanding my imagination and knowledge of what else is out there. Because in the U S whiteness is so suffocating and so dominating that it is hard to say, like, is there anything outside of it? Because Unless you're in subcultures, not really. Like, yeah, that's just where it is. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well. <laughs> thank you. Well, that makes that kind of helps me feel better, and like also it's kind of like uh because you're right, and that just means we have to like do the work. There's no like shortcut around no. it, you know, and we're just gonna have to like do the work and hold ourselves accountable and 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 trust that there is a way like through and out, and like that's like redemptive you know and just yes and i just that's not so hopeless no and i just feel like stop reading listening to and engaging with white men like there's just there's no reason to do it straight up there's no reason yeah if for our entire lives if for 30 years of my life the dominant voices in my life have been white guys they can take a seat yeah and make space for other voices and i think that's a way that we unlearn white supremacy just being like i'm i'm capping this year at zero white men like yeah (laughs) And you know, and I, that's so in- you said the interesting that you said that because this isn't necessarily related. But I was telling a cousin of mine; she's in college now. But I realized back when I was in college, when I would look at my body and like have all these issues with it, that all the people that I was comparing my body to were white women. Mm-hmm. It, I wasn't even comparing my body to like a Serena or a, or a Gabrielle Union. You know, like you know, women who I actually look like in terms of like shape. You know, I was. I was like, oh no. I was thinking of like Jessica Simpson oh, and like God, all these yeah. other white ladies. And they, you know, that's, you know, they're fine, you know, but I'm also like, this isn't, it, it really dawned on me. I was like, girl, yeah, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. So no, you're right. Like you just, you have to like clean the slate, it, it, especially if it makes you hate yourself yes. or hate people. Yeah. So I find myself <laughs> quoting Stomp the Yard pretty often, uh, which is like, <laughs> you fine, but you ain't all that. Like, some parts of whiteness <laughs> is fine, but it ain't all that. And, like, there's so yeah. much better stuff out there. And we got to see ourselves rightly to be able to engage with that at all. I agree. I agree. Thank you. So my second question is, and I, I talked about this. I don't know if I said this to you in our email, but I, I know I've said this out loud. But one thing I'm struggling with and um, really trying to work on is compassion, self-compassion, compassion for others, especially people I disagree with. And, sure. and just like my entitlement in general. And you've talked a bit about entitlement on the show, too. Um, so my question is, how do you practice compassion and withholding judgment and checking your entitlement as you discuss Christianity in a way that isn't common in terms of like mm-hmm. you know without white supremacy involved and you know and in a way that requires critical thinking so <laughs> <laughs> you see that shade see i'm working on myself i'm yeah. working i'm working I, so I mean, tell me <laughs> i mean it's my daily process of what i would call sanctification right like if i am to be anti-white supremacy and to say that that's what i'm about and that's what my theology is going to be about then i cannot use the tools of white supremacy to get there like i can't use the tools of exclusion of hierarchy of oppression to get to the place where I want to be that I say is liberative. Because I know people say that like the intent matter or like the intent doesn't matter as much as the impact, but I think our intentions matter, our motives matter, because they do something to our inner life and how we see other people. And so for me, I think one of the one of the practical things that I do around compassion is I've ref- I've started unlearning violent language and refusing to dehumanize people. I don't think we I think one of the ways that we dehumanize people the most is by normalizing violence against people's bodies. 
But I don't think we even realize how much like war imagery or violent language we use all the time. And like even things like take a shot. You're like, why does everything I want to do a gun? Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like I'm going to hit you up. And I'm like, OK, I know these things are small and they're silly and it sounds stupid to like critique those things. But I think when we start to go, oh, there's everything that I think about is infused with violence somehow. What does that do to my brain? And like, what do I see as the definition of strong? Is it militaristically powerful or is it enemy love, like Jesus says? And so I think there are ways that I've had to analyze, how does violence impact how I see people and normalize violence against people's bodies? And honestly, if I'm being like super straight up, I think the way that it comes out in me is when things happen and I'm like, like when, when someone like Chadwick Boseman dies and I'm like, man, couldn't you just taken out Donald Trump? Like, couldn't you have just taken him out? Like, yeah, and I'm like, oh, there's something in me that wants something violent or negative to happen to this man because I don't agree with him and because I don't like him. But there's a <laughs> but it's a but it is a slippery slope from dislike to dehumanization. Yeah. And so one of the things I've been practicing is like as much as I like a good Cheeto joke or whatever about 45. Yeah. I won't do it. Like I won't I won't objectify or dehumanize him in that way for my own soul. And so I think as I practice that sort of thing toward people that I straight up, I think, probably despise in some ways, mm -hmm. it makes it easier to see other people outside of that who are much less bad as fully human in different ways. And so I think as I practice compassion, both for myself and kind of unlearning that violent language, I'm learning how to practice that toward other people in a way that has been meaningful. I would also say that I have a personal practice that I don't know that I would recommend to everybody, but that has been really life-changing for me. Okay, let's hear it. Every time I move to a new city, I make sure that I operate in one space at least where the people are really different from me, like really different. Like right now, it's a gym. And at at the gym that I was co was going to pre-COVID and all that stuff, the people are really different from me. Like I'm a non-violent Jesus pacifist pastor, right? Like that's... <laughs> and the one of the people at the gym is like a... Works at a gun shop pseudo-libertarian anarchist, like, probably kind of like homophobic, transphobic, we do not agree around race, the stuff that he says I would never say to another person, ever. Yeah. And he's my friend. Mm. And I've, I've learned to sit in that and to go, how can I find his humanity, my humanity, our humanity, as we are together across difference? Because I think the more that we create vacuums and silos in our personal communities, the more likely it is that we will dehumanize and not have compassion for people who aren't like us because we don't have faces to put to them. Right. Brene Brown says uh, people are hard to hate close up. Some people are not. Some people are very easy to hate no, close up. <laughs> but I think that there's something more, there's more of an inner life practice that says that people are harder to hate close up because it forces us to give people a chance to subvert our expectations of who they are and to see the fragile little baby that's in all of us. It's trying to figure out how to survive in the world, you know? So I think, I think that all of those things are part of it for me. No, I, I really thank you for that. I I mean, I guess you're you're giving me hope because I guess I'm not too far off with like even just raising this question means I'm trying, you know. And, but but like one thing that I'm that I'm trying to do is I know I'm my mute hand, my like un unfollow, not in terms of like like completely unfollow, but like, you know, you can mute somebody or like hide their stuff. Mm -hmm. That oh my god, I have a strong right hand. Mm -hmm. I'm like, you know what? I actually want to see you on my feed, but then I realized at one point on Facebook though, I'm really trying to break away from that that the devil we know but like i'm trying to get off of it. <laughs> but like i realized that like my feed was recirculating the same statuses probably because i've like muted so many people <laughs> and i'm like you know this isn't really compassionate of me you know because outside of this person making this crazy status about and this in my opinion this wild status about elections or 
45 or something. Mm-hmm. I like them, you know, like I, they share some funny memes, you know, but I'm always stuck. I'm always like torn between like this love of justice, right? Mm-hmm. Or like, or just trying to be fair and right to people. Yeah. And like, and then people, and then also like holding people accountable. So I, I always struggle with like, what do I allow myself access to? Yeah. You know, but then I realized that I was getting rid of everybody, <laughs> if that makes sense. You yeah. know, <laughs> like I was getting rid of everybody. And I, I had a boss tell me long, long ago, she told all of us, but she was like, you know, you have to be willing to invest in somebody, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm really trying to figure out, especially people you are close to or have, you know, mm-hmm. family with, you know, people that you, and so I'm, I'm trying to figure that out and I'm realizing, okay, maybe I shouldn't mute this person, you know, <laughs> like maybe I shouldn't like hide them from, maybe I should just ask questions mm-hmm. because you realize when you ask someone a question, they, and you get more into their psyche, they either like revert what they said or change it or clarify it, mm-hmm. or they tell you and then you have like a clearer picture, yeah. you know? So these are just like certain things I'm working on. It is very difficult for me, but I also don't want to be someone that is dehumanizing. Mm-hmm. I don't want to turn into the thing I I yep. say I hate, you know. Totally. Um, and I'm finding that, like you said, it's a slippery slope. It's very hard to do. It is very hard to yeah. do. And yes. and I I I thought that you would know more than me because well, you know. <laughs> well, and, and, and I don't know that I do, but I and I think I think to even speak to what you're talking about, there's two tensions that we run. Yeah. One is that we cannot allow ourselves to be consistently dehumanized at every level. And sometimes I use that block button. I've been unfriending more people. I've unfriended more people in this year than I have in my entire life. And I just have standards. Like I set limits to what kind of thing I can handle. And my limit right now is QAnon. If like, uh-huh. <laughs> if you're out there like spouting conspiracy theories to say why you don't believe that Black Lives Matter, I'm out. Like I have nothing, yeah. I literally have nothing compassionate. And for my own salvation and outer working of that, I'm not going to stay saved if I interact with you because- I'm nonviolent, but you'll catch these digital hands, right? I just feel like, <laughs> and and I feel like social media is one of those places where I don't know. I, I think what, what I would say is I think one of the most radical things we can do in the world is believe that people have the capacity to change. And I am an example of that. I'm a person who would never have thought I'm the person I I would become the person I am now, and no one around me would have thought that either. So there's that, like there's that kind of radical believing in people. But then there's also right this iconic Maya Angelou quote, which is. When people show you who they are, believe them. Believe them. And I think at some point, I'm done. I think there is a limit to how much we should take for our own humanity when people have told us over and over again who they are. Yeah. So, and that brings me, and this is like not my question, but you you talked about the the guy that you befriended at the gym. But like, how do you, how do you do that? Like, how, <laughs> how do you do that? <laughs> how does that work? Because, because what I'm finding is trying to be an accomplice to the queer community what like transphobia and homophobia i just I, look at listen hell what are you doing <laughs> what because i because it's it, because it feels unsafe you yeah. know and i'm like am i and i feel complicit you yeah. know if i if i am not muting or hiding or, you mm-hmm. know or you know all these things and so i don't know but I also think that it would be just, I, I'm just interested to know how are you managing that? Because I know you care a lot about the queer community as well. You talk about it a lot on your show. And like, how are you doing that? <laughs> because I want to know. Well, one, I would never be like, hey, queer person, you should come to my gym. Like straight yeah. up, I wouldn't do it. Yeah. Because I think, it, I think there are, this is true for everybody, but I think specifically for folks who I think are navigating more oppressive ideologies, we all need space to be our fully effed up selves. Like we all need spaces to be seen and to be engaged with. 
that doesn't mean everybody should be in the room while we're doing that. I'm not trying to be in a room full of white people who are trying to figure out their complicity with white supremacy. I'm not trying to do it. That is yeah. not interesting to me. And the nonsense <laughs> that's going to come out of that is like way too high to manage. But yeah. to me, I think as a person who's trying to love well, especially folks who aren't like me, I'm like, who else is this guy going to have these conversations with if not me? Like, who else is going to say like, yo, man, that ain't that's it. Like, <laughs> like, you can believe what you want, but please don't say that stuff around me. Or like, hey, here's how that affects me. Or like, hey, here's a little hole in the argument that I see you putting out into the world. And so I just think that there are ways that it is not a marginalized person's job to convince people of non-marginalized identities not to be oppressive. It is the right. work of people. I always say, like, get your people. Like, for me, the reason I do this yeah. podcast is because I'm out here to get Christians. Like, we'd be oppressive as we're so oppressive, right? And I'm like, okay, my job is to get Christians. But if I'm at a gym and I have a person who is willing to engage and who isn't shutting down as we talk, then I think it's my job to do some of that work. It's like how no one else is going to go get your racist uncle but you. Like, yeah, <laughs> damn, like, like you have to gather them. You have to do this work offline. And it, yes. you know? <laughs> And so for me, I like, I'm yeah. always trying to find places that are offline work and just to manage my own triggeredness. It's not a word, but like to manage the ways that I feel triggered even though I'm not unsafe in the ways that I can very much turn to cancel culture really quickly, which I'm kind of bored by the conversation about cancel culture, to be honest. But yeah, I think that it is so easy to just take like a cultural move to just shutting out everybody who isn't like you. Yeah. That I don't even know that I have the reflex still to stay if I don't practice it. That's fair. That That's fair. And I'm trying to work that muscle because I would love someone to show me grace if I ever messed up, you know? And, and I have to, you know, and for right now, my motives are very selfish, you know, but like, I'm like, if that's what I need to like start, then that, and then I will, you know, so that's what I lean on. But thank you. So, um, and this actually kind of ties it to my last question. So in your opinion, is there proof that there's a way to be yourself and Christian? you know, uh, yourself and love God. I think that a lot of the language in church, not a na- not denominational and not, is that to really love God, you have to be willing to give up yourself and not just like the bad parts. I know you talk about binary on the show, but like not just like the bad parts, but the parts that make you you, the parts that make you black or African, mm-hmm. queer, different, you know, because Christians love proof. Yes. <laughs> yes. And I think the theology that you're talking about is this one that says like, less of me, more of Jesus. I'm turning mm-hmm. into a little Christ. But if we look at the ministry of <laughs> Jesus, right? Like I think about the guys that Jesus invited to be his disciples and the women that Jesus invited to be his disciples. We have a zealot who's like probably like a, basically our equivalent of like a militant activist trying to overthrow probably the closest thing we have to Antifa in the scriptures, right? <laughs> like, or in uh-huh. the, like a, We have some fishermen. We have a tax collector who's been exploiting people. We have a woman who was previously full of demons. We have a woman who who's has a rich benefactor husband who works for the oppressor. Like mm-hmm. we have all of these people. And when Jesus says, come follow me, he doesn't say you are no longer whatever. You're no longer yeah. this thing. You're no longer this thing. He says, come follow me. And it is in the fullness of who they are that Jesus invites them to follow him. I think specifically about in Luke five, where Jesus calls Peter and the guys to come follow him. And he says, okay, from now on, you're going to fish for people. So he doesn't say like, now you're a mini Christ. He says like this thing that you know how to do, I'm going to redeem that thing, remix it, and we're going to do that differently. And so I think that even just in Jesus and his disciples, when he dies, they're not all just like looking straight up like Jesus. They're not like less of me, more of Christ. They're like, (laughs) how do we follow the kingdom way of Jesus as ourselves and as our community and with our people? So I think there's that piece. But I also just think, read the Old Testament, right? Yeah. When I think about people like Moses, Moses is a guy who is born in the midst of an infanticide because a politically corrupt 
leader is afraid that the marginalized people in his community are getting too powerful. And so Moses is born into this like political unrest in the midst of enslavement, is sent down the river. So he's a Hebrew kid who's raised in Egypt, in like high places of Egypt, but he has this innate desire for justice. And really, he's angry. And we see that, like, I think it's in chapter three, where he goes out and he sees his people being mistreated, even the people he hasn't grown up with, right? He sees the Hebrews being mistreated. He kills an Egyptian slave driver. And you can see that he has this, this deep desire for justice in him. And God doesn't take that because he messes it up and does it in a really effed up way. God doesn't take that from him, but instead goes like, I'm going to take that justice thing in you. And after you get refined in the wilderness for a while, I'm going to bring that back around <laughs> and we're yeah. going to use that thing for the liberation of all people. So it's not like God is looking to create many clones. What a boring story and what a um, fickle and conceited and ridiculous caricature of a God that looks much more like Donald Trump than looks like the Jesus of the Bible to just like create a million versions of yourself that you can parrot all over the world. No, like the point of scripture of what or the what what God is doing in scripture seems to be saying, I'm going to bless a diversity of people to live fully as themselves and to figure out what discipleship looks like to me in their culture, which is what we see happen with Moses. And we see him mess that up like over and over and over again. He does some like really messed up stuff over and over again. <laughs> but God isn't saying to him like, Moses, can you be a little less Hebrew right now? Like, Ooh, yeah, <laughs> you're acting out your Egyptianness. He's like, no, here's the way I'm offering you. How does your whole self fit into the whole story of God and not some kind of weird factioning in between? Because then we just end up in like weird Paul territory. We're like, oh, there is no Jew. There is no Greek. There is no male. There is no female. And I'm like, that's not what Paul's talking about. And us just taking those scriptures out of context, I think, dishonors what God has done in creating us in our uniqueness to be who we are. And it's also like, I think it's very loving, you know, because... Especially as as of black people of the diaspora, just anybody anybody with a history of like enslavement and pain, especially. But in, I'm speaking from like the black experience, trying to find yourself, mm -hmm. trying to like your ancestry, your people, you know. Yeah. And it's and to be to be told repeatedly that that may be ungodly can be a bit disheartening yes. and lonely, you know. Yes. Like I don't want to wait till I die to meet everyone, you know. Yes. Like, I don't yes. want to wait till I die. <laughs> Till I die to um to know myself, yes. you know. So and like how how can we believe the greatest commandment is to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself if we do not love ourselves first? If we do not love ourselves, we cannot love our neighbor as ourselves. Therefore, we cannot complete the commandments of God of love. And to love ourselves is not to love the projection of who we think we should be later. It is to love who we are right now in all of the messiness and to know that God is interacting with that person in real time, not just like a hypothetical version of who we should be later. As we close, I wanted to ask you just a quick benediction, you know, how if however it comes out for you, um, I'm going to start or not, I'm going to start, but I'm going to say, dear God, and how would you continue that sentence? <laughs> however way you want <laughs> dear god <laughs> how much longer how much longer also come get your people like dear come god get come get them. your people like come <laughs> get them like come get them <laughs> yeah yeah dear god thank you we forget to say thank you but thank you Thank you again, Brandy. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Y'all, please remember to check out her podcast, Reclaiming My Theology. I will also link 
all her social details in the show notes. So check there and I will tag her on Instagram and everywhere when I post this episode. Thank you. I am going to officially dedicate this episode to my grandmother, who I am thinking about so much. I'm thinking about her so much, especially this year. This year, especially with all the death and just everything going on. It is around this time where I would be always calling her and I really miss her. And it's always around this time because it is September and almost the anniversary of her passing. And I'm just thinking a lot about her. And so I want to dedicate this episode to her. And I would like to think that while she probably would not listen to any of our other episodes, (laughs) and she probably would be quite upset with all the things that happened on this podcast, I would like to think that she enjoyed this episode and that she is proud. And so I'll leave y'all with this. I am not evil. You are the ones who embrace fear and pain and power and rights so readily in your relationships. But your choices are also not stronger than my purposes. And I will use every choice you make for the ultimate good and the most loving outcome. Papa slash God. And this is from The Shack. So The Shack is a book that I love. I've read it repeatedly. I read it when my grandmother passed. I read it after our loss. I read it. It's just a great book to fall into when you, at least for me, when I am confused or in pain or just need something positive. It is a book about a man whose daughter is killed by a serial killer and he is very angry. He's very angry with God and right as he's about to I don't know, completely give up. He gets a letter in the mail from God who asks him to come to the shack, which is where his daughter's, like the blood from his daughter was found, even though they haven't been able to find the body. He uh, he receives a letter from God saying to come to the shack. Actually, it's from Papa. And Papa is like this loving, endearing name that his wife gives God. And so he thinks it's the serial killer and he goes down to the shack by himself and he ends up spending a weekend with the Trinity. So God, Sarayu, who is the Holy Spirit, and Jesus. And it's a beautiful book. God is a black woman in this book. Um, It's just a whole bunch of lessons. It's just, it's such a good read and heartwarming and probably a good read for right now if you're interested in it. I think even if you don't identify as Christian or anything, if you just have faith or just want something that's, I don't know, that's a good read and a nice break and maybe you just want a little hope I would recommend this book it's really good and yeah for ad free and edited episodes as well as exclusive early and extra content join us at patreon.com slash black millennial marriage the black millennial marriage podcast is in domino sounds network submit questions or feedback for the next solo episode Email us at blackmillmare at gmo.com or leave a voice message at 770-750-4098. That could be featured on a future episode. That's a tongue tie. <laughs> Let me know what you think about this episode. And again, please be sure to check out Brandy Miller and her podcast, Reclaiming My Theology. 
be sure to also check out our website, www.blackmillennialmarriage.com and follow us on social media platforms. On Instagram, I am Randy, R-A-N-D-I-I-I-I-E-E-E. That's four I's, three E's. And Mikey is Mikey underscore XXI. On Twitter, we are at underscore the Chapmans. As always, y'all, thank you for listening. Be blessed. Don't settle. Fight clean. Peace. About time that I get back, yo, I'ma get back, cause we can hold it down. Oh God, I'ma get back, yo, I'ma get back, and we can hold it yeah. down. Yeah, this the fourth year in the promised land, watching our promised land. Acast powers some of the world's best podcasts. Here's a show we recommend. I'm Meredith Masony. And I'm Tiffany Jenkins. We're the hosts of Take It or Leave It, a podcast where we discuss all things marriage, motherhood, and everything in between. Join us every week where we sit down and talk about parenting, even though we don't really know what we're talking about. We have guests, we take your calls, and we get weird. Tiffany and I are just like you. We are two struggling moms who have no idea what we're doing. Join us on Take It or Leave It, an advice-ish podcast for parents. recommends. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.